0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to James chapter 4. And in just a moment, we'll look at verse 13 all the way through the end of the chapter. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. How many of you know that we don't know what's going to happen in the future? Anybody know that? We don't. We don't know. Look at me. We don't know what's going to happen one minute from now. We don't know. We just don't. We think we know, we got it all planned, and we've got our little calendars, and God's sitting there saying, oh, Yeah, right. We don't know what's gonna happen. I've got a friend in Brooklyn, pastor's great church, Brooklyn Tabernacle, Jim Sembla. I heard him say one time, he said, you know, Christians nowadays want a five day, five year plan. We want a five year plan. Where's that in the Bible, by the way? But we want a five-year plan. He said, imagine somebody saying to Moses when he was leading the people in the wilderness, Moses, what's your five-year plan? He said, Moses would take him over outside the tent. He'd say, you see that? Fire by day and that cloud by night, that's my plan. I keep my eye on that cloud. If the cloud moves, I move. If the cloud doesn't move, I don't move. I look at the cloud. That's my plan to follow the Lord. We don't like that, do we? We like to control things. And look at me. You can't control anything. You say, Brother Steve, you're back to bless us. Thank you so much. (laughs) You say, is it out of control? No. He's got the whole world in his hands. Yeah, Yeah, he does. And you know what? We don't know our future. We don't know what's going to happen. The only thing we can do is trust in the Lord. And that's a good place to be. That's what it means to walk by faith. Say that phrase with me. Walk by faith. That's real Christianity. Today we're going to look in the book of James. And like he always does, he just gets in our stuff. We're going to talk about arrogant assumption. The title comes right out of the text, arrogance. Look at verse 13 in chapter 4 of the book of James. Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to engage in business. We're going to make a profit. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord will. Say that out loud with me, please. If the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. There's the title. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. It's wicked. Therefore, to to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him... It is sin. Heavenly Father, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First thing is this, arrogant assumption demonstrates your ignorance. You say, I I, I don't know about that. Well, look at verse 13. Come now you who say today or tomorrow we're, we will go to such and such a city. We're going to spend a year there. We're going to engage in business. We're going to make a profit. James was addressing Jewish Christians who assumed that they would just keep right on living even though they weren't promised another day. Today or tomorrow, they said, we're going to go to such and such a city. Well, what if you fall and break your ankle on a trail? And by the way, let me tell you how tough my wife is. She walked for one mile on that trail on a fractured ankle don't mess with donna all right she's bad to the bone i'm telling you literally what if you break your ankle what if you're sick too sick to travel what if you die and you don't live another day they went on to say not only are we gonna today or tomorrow we're gonna go to such and such a city we're gonna spend a year there what if you don't have another year We're going to engage in business and make a profit. What if you lose money? They assumed way too much. They assumed that they were going to live today and tomorrow. We're not promised that. They assumed they could travel safely to a city. We're not promised that. They assumed that they could spend a year there. We're not promised that. They assumed that they'd be profitable in their business. We're not promised that. We're not. James says all of that arrogance is just your assumption. Look at verse 14. Yet you don't know what your life will be like tomorrow. These people weren't just making future plans. They were expecting to be prosperous, and they didn't even know what was going to happen the next hour. Arrogant assumption demonstrates just how ignorant we are of the future. We don't know what's going to happen. Jesus told a parable about a very arrogant man that God called a fool. And that fool arrogantly assumed that he'd lived for a long time. It's in Luke chapter 12. You can look at it on the screen, or if you're quick, you can follow along in your Bible. Luke 12, 16 says, and he told them a parable, Jesus did, saying the land of a rich man was very productive. I want you to see that, how he said it. He didn't say that the man was productive. He said that the land was productive. And who made the land? God. All of it was a gift from God. And he began to reason to himself. Rather than thanking God for his blessings, he focused on himself. Rather than praying to God, he reasoned to himself. And notice how selfish he was. Look at verse 17. Verse 17. Here's what he said. He said, what shall I do? What shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for, your, for many years to come. He's having a conversation with himself. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. In just two sentences, he referred to himself 14 times. He is all about himself. He's going to take it easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Look at verse 20. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. That's what death is. When God takes your soul out of you, you die. And you can't stop God from taking your soul out of you. You don't know when that's going to happen. He could take your soul out of you before I get through preaching. He could take your soul out of you before the sun sets. He could take your soul out of you in the middle of the night. You don't know what's going to happen to you. And when you say you do, it's arrogant assumption. You are totally ignorant of what's going to happen to you, and so am I. God could take your soul out of you. This very night, your soul is required of you. You fool. When God calls you a fool, you're a fool. And now, who will own what you have prepared? Apparently, He didn't have anybody to inherit His riches. He had no heirs. And Jesus summarizes this man in verse 21 So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. You should not try to be rich for yourself. You should be rich spiritually in the things of God. The poor rich man was a fool, guilty of arrogant assumption. Are you? Are you? Do you arrogantly assume? Man, I'll tell you one thing. By this time next year, I'm going to have that thing paid off. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. Really? Do you trust God to direct your future? Or do you arrogantly plan your future all around yourself? Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with some of your heart. No, with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. You know why? Because you don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Proverbs 27, verse 1, don't boast about tomorrow. You don't know. You're ignorant. You And I am too. We don't know. What a day may bring forth. Maybe you're focusing on making a lot of money out there in the future. The Bible says don't do it. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5. Don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and fly away like an eagle. I can remember my kids got out of school I thought, man, finally, I'm going to get to save a little money. And then there came college. They all got out of college and said, man, finally going to save a little money. And then they all got married and I had to pay for the weddings. I thought, well, got all the college paid for, all the weddings paid for, and now we got 15 grandbabies. <laughs> I got news for you. That money, it sprouts wings and it flies away like an eagle. Amen, amen. Some of you think you're arrogantly you're arrogantly thinking you're you assume you're going to be prosperous in business. Jeremiah nine twenty three says, "Thus says the Lord: Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, let not a mighty man boast of his might, let a, not a rich man boast of his riches." You know where your hope is: the Lord Jesus Christ, not your wallet. 1 Timothy 6, 17, Paul said to Timothy, Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited, not to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. I'm telling you, arrogant assumption demonstrates our ignorance. We don't know what's going to happen. Sorry. What am I going to do about my calendar? It's not worth very much. Look at verse 2, arrogant assumption disregards your insignificance. Not only are you ignorant, and am I ignorant, but apart from God, we're insignificant. Brother Steve, I'm so glad you're back. So far I've learned this week I'm ignorant and I'm insignificant. (laughs) We're not through either. (laughs) Look at verse 14, the last part. You are just a vapor. Turn to your neighbor and say, hello, vapor. Go ahead and do it right now. Hello, vapor. Yeah. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. He didn't say, your future is a vapor. He said, you are a vapor. You're a puff of smoke. You're a mist in the air. You're like the morning fog. And as soon as the sun comes out, gone. They were not as big a deal as they thought they were, James said. Apart from Jesus, James says, you're just a vapor. You appear for a little while, then you vanish away. Arrogant assumption disregards our insignificance. Oh, there was a big shot in the Old Testament named Nebuchadnezzar. You got a name like that. Boy, that's a name, isn't it? Nebuchadnezzar. That is a big time name. I'm Nebuchadnezzar. And he was absolutely filled with himself. He was the ancient, the king of ancient Babylon. But one night God gave him a disturbing dream and nobody could interpret it except Daniel. Daniel comes in and says, I I tell you one thing, King, I love you, but I wish this wasn't, I wish the interpretation of this was not what it is. This is not good. Unless you humble yourself, Oh, king, something bad's going to happen to you. God's going to bring you down. He's going to take you down. And you you better humble yourself, King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar said, thank you for the interpretation. And then went right on about his business. And one day on top of the roof, as he's looking out over his vast kingdom that he built, he gets all proud and arrogant. And watch what happens. Just watch on the screen, Daniel four. 29 and following, 12 months later, a year later after the vision was interpreted, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. The king reflected and said, Is this not Babylon the Great, which I myself have built as a royal residence by the might of my power and for the glory of my majesty? Sounds exactly like that other guy, I, me, my. While the word was in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven. That's God saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is declared, sovereignty has been removed from you. In one sentence, everything was taken away. And you will be driven away from mankind, your dwelling place will be with the beast of the field, you will be given grass to eat like cattle and for seven periods of time, that is seven years, will pass over you until you recognize that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Immediately the word concerning Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from mankind He began eating grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair had grown out like eagle's feathers. His nails were so long they were like bird's claws. He lost his mind. But at the end of that period, he starts talking now. After seven years of insanity, living like an animal, he thought nobody could live without him and now he's out in a field by himself eating like an animal. I Nebuchadnezzar at the end of that period raised my eyes toward heaven and my reason returned to me. I put my eyes off of myself I got my eyes on God and my mind came back to me I got news for you some of y'all are not in your right mind because you got your mind on you it's time for you to get your mind off of you and get your mind on the Lord Jesus Christ that's what's wrong with you you got all your mind on you and that'll drive you crazy you better get your mind on the Lord Amen. That's a word for some. I'm telling you what's right. That's a word for somebody here today. Get your mind off of yourself and your stuff and get your mind on Jesus Christ and you'll get your mind back. Amen. I don't know what verse I was in, but I'll find it. I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven. My reason returned to me. I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever for his dominion. He starts going off worshiping God here. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? At that time, my reason returned to me. My majesty, my splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. And my counselors and my nobles began seeking me out. And so I was reestablished in my sovereignty and surpassing greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the King of heaven for all his works are true and all his ways are just. And he is able to humble those who walk in pride. You know what happened to Nebuchadnezzar? You know what we would say? He got saved. He came forward and gave his heart to Jesus. I'll guarantee you, when we get to heaven, Nebuchadnezzar's going to be there. Because he humbled himself under the mighty hand of God. He got saved. He repented of his pride and his arrogance. Will you? Will you? Apart from the Lord, we're all insignificant. Regardless of how much money you've made, what position and title you hold. Well, Brother Steve, you don't know who I am. You know who I am. I've got a lot of money. I, I've got a title. I've got a position. I'm somebody. You ain't diddly apart from Jesus. You can fool yourself and think too highly of yourself and think you're important, but the fact is the world was existing before you showed up, and the world will go right on after you die. You say, this is blessing me, Brother Steve. I'm really enjoying this today. Not only that, you're only a vapor. You're just a puff of air. That's all you are. Psalm 39, verse 5, David knew that. He said, Behold, he was the greatest king Israel ever had. He said, Behold, you've made my days as hand breasts. My lifetime is nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. Selah. You know what Selah means? Pause and think about that. Pause and think about what? That every man at his best is a mere breath. It says the same thing just a few verses later, six verses later, Psalm 39, verse 11, with reproofs. You chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. He says it again. Surely every man is a mere breath. Selah. Pause and think about that. Everybody take a breath on three. Everybody take a breath. Here we go. One, two, three. Exhale now. That's all you are. That's it. You say, what? I missed it. No. You didn't miss it. That's it. Let's do it again. Here's all you are. You ready? One, two, three. Blow out. That's it. That's all you are. You're just a breath. You're nothing without Jesus, and you're everything with Jesus. Jesus is your worth. Arrogant assumption disregards your insignificance. Number three, arrogant assumption displays your irreverence. When you arrogantly assume that you're going to do this and that, you are irreverent toward God. Look at verse 15. Instead, James says, he tells his listeners what they should have done. Instead, you ought to have said, if the Lord will. Say it out loud with me. If the Lord will. We will live and also do this or that. Instead of arrogantly assuming that you're going to live today and tomorrow, travel, be successful in business, you should have said, if the Lord wills, if the Lord wills, we'll live and also do this or that. That subtle change, look at it. If the Lord wills, if my master wills, and what it says is this, I am not in charge of I am just a servant. I am a slave to my master if the Lord wills. Whatever the Lord wills, that's what's going to happen to me. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I got no say in the matter. I don't plan my calendar. He's already planned my calendar I just stay close enough to him to know what I ought to do and what I ought not to do. Totally different way of living, but the totally right way of living. It's the way Jesus lived. It's the way Jesus lived. The Lord was in charge. They were not. But as it is, verse 16, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil, paneros, evil, a condition that causes pain and trouble. And i got news for you. Arrogant assumption will cause you pain and trouble. James told these first century Christians that their arrogant assumption displayed their irreverence. I'm reading a biography right now about the first president of the United States, George Washington. Before he became president of the United States, Washington commanded the American Continental Army in the Revolutionary War. Thirteen independent colonies trying to come together in America, fighting the British Army, the most powerful army and navy in the world. America didn't even have a navy. All we had was a ragtag, underpaid, poorly equipped amateur bunch of soldiers, And yet, Washington, over eight and a half years, led them to the ultimate victory, even though he lost more battles than he won. (laughs) He just kept on going. He kept on encouraging his men. Many times they would, one time at Valley Forge, one winter at Valley Forge, most of them didn't even have shoes and it was snowing several feet deep and they were freezing. Many of them died in their little huts that they had to make. They were always without pay. They didn't have enough guns. They didn't have enough this, that, or the other. And they were fighting by far the most powerful, well-equipped army and navy in the whole world at the time, the British. But every time you turn around, God was letting them have a victory. And Washington attributed all of it to the Lord, the Lord and his men, but he always put the Lord first. Toward the end of the war, the French finally, because of John Adams and other people, Benjamin Franklin, they finally got the French to say, will you help us fight the British? And they came. And they agreed to join the Americans, and when they did, Washington wrote out his thanks to the Lord for that decision. He said, and I quote, it having pleased the almighty ruler of the universe, talking about God, perpetuously to defend the cause of the United American States, and finally by raising up a powerful friend among the princes of the earth, he's talking about France, to establish our liberty and independence upon lasting foundations, it becomes us to set apart a day for gratefully acknowledging the divine goodness. We're going to have a day of prayer and thanksgiving because God has caused the French to join us. And you know what? Just a few weeks later at Yorktown, he pinned down the most powerful of all the generals of the British, Cornwallis, and after that, the war was virtually over. He gave all the glory to God. He didn't say, I me, my United States of America, big, bad, and all that. No, he said, God. If the Lord wills, we're going to win this war. Is that the way you treat life? Is that the way you go through life? Or are you irreverent? Do you say, I got this. I don't need God I don't need God, I know what I'm doing. No, you don't. You don't know what's gonna happen. You don't know what's around you. You don't know what's ahead of you. You're not as smart as you think you are, neither am I. None of us are. You can't do anything without the Lord. You are as needy and to say otherwise is to be irreverent. If you want to brag on somebody, I'll tell you who to brag on. Brag on God. Brag on the Lord. Brag on Jesus. The psalmist said in Psalm 20, verse 7, some boast, let's read it together. This is so good. Let's read it together. Some boast in chariots, Come on now, read it with me. We're going to try it again. One, two, three. Some boast in chariots and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of the Lord our God. I'm not going to boast in ourselves. I'm not going to boast about Bellevue. I'm not going to boast about me or anybody else. I'm going to boast about Jesus. Psalm 34, verse 2. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and... Rejoice. Don't arrogantly assume, Christian, that you'll do this or that. That is boastful, it is irreverent, and it does not honor God. Instead, say, if the Lord wills. In Texas they say, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. We'll live and also do this or that. Don't let your arrogant assumption display your irreverence. Well, boy, this arrogant assumption, it's it's bad stuff. It demonstrates our ignorance. It disregards our insignificance. It displays our irreverence. But there's a penalty for it too. That's the last point. Arrogant assumption demands your indictment. It demands that God indict you. Look at verse 17. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, To him it's sin. Don't ever take that verse by itself. It's connected to arrogant assumption. What he's saying is, I've told you not to be arrogant. I've told you not to assume arrogantly that this, that, and other is going to happen. I've told you God's in control. Now, to one who knows the right thing to do, and you do, he said, I just told you what to do, and you don't do it, to you that is sin. It is sinful to be arrogantly assumptive. One of the Old Testament judges was a man named Samson. He was strong physically but weak morally. He was an adulterer, fornicator. He loved women. He was the leader of Israel at the time, but every time he turned around, He's with another woman, being immoral. And finally, the Lord allowed him to meet one that was going to take him down. Her name was Delilah. Oh, Delilah was good-looking. And she was hired by his arch enemy and the arch enemies of God, the Philistines. That's where Goliath came from, by the way. Samson had killed Philistines and he'd go be immoral and the Spirit of God stayed on him. He said, well, I can get away with it. I'm, not, I'm just going to keep on doing it. That's what some of you think right now. Some of you, God has allowed you time to get right with him and you keep on sinning and you say, I'm special God gives me a buy on this. He's winking at my sin. I can do whatever I want to and live for God. You know what? You better you better understand. There comes a time he draws a line. And he's going to take you down if you don't stop. Mr. Big Shot. Some of y'all got stuff going on that nobody knows about but God. And I'm telling you, he's telling you right now, You'd better stop and you'd better repent. Our payday is coming. Thus saith the Lord. You better hear from God on that. Samson, big shot, strong. And the Philistine says, We'll give you 1,100 pieces of silver if you can find out what the source of his strength was. I'll tell you what it was. He was a Nazarite. God supernaturally gave him this strength. It's not even said in scripture that he had a lot of muscles. And he was big. It doesn't say that. It just said he, the Spirit of God would come upon him and he'd do these great things. And so here he is living in sin, just this cycle, living in sin. Then he'd go do something for the Lord. Then he'd come back to women, do, live in sin. But Delilah pretended to love him, but she wanted to take him down. We read about it in Judges 16. Just look on the screen. So Delilah said to him, Please, now see if you'd like to have a girlfriend like this. Please tell me where your great strength is so that I can bind you and afflict you. What dummy would date somebody like that? I want to beat the tar out of you. Would you tell me how to do it? Is that not just crazy? I wouldn't believe it if I didn't read it in my Bible. Samson said to her, If they bind me with seven fresh cords that have not been dried, then it will be- I will become weak and like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh cords that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Then she had men lying in wait in an inner room, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the cords as a string of toe snaps When it touches fire, so his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you've deceived me, you've told me lies. Now please tell me how you may be bound. He said to her, If they bind me lightly with new ropes which have not been used, then I will become weak and like any other man. So Delilah took the new ropes, bound him with them, and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. For the men were lying in wait in the inner room, but he snapped the ropes from his arms like a thread. Then Delilah said to Samson, Up to now, you've deceived me. You've told me lies. Tell me how you may be bound. He said to her, If you weave the seven locks of my hair. Uh Uh-oh. He's getting close now. See, his hair, his long hair, was the symbol of his Nazaretic vow. And if you ever cut it, it was like God saying, you broke the vow and your power is gone. If you weave the seven locks of my hair with the web and fasten it with a pen, then I will become weak and like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his hair, wove them into the web and she fastened it with the pen and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he woke awoke from his sleep, pulled out the pin of the loom and the web. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart's not with me? You've deceived me these three times. You've not told me where your great strength is. It came about when she pressed him daily in her words with her words and urged him that his soul was annoyed to death. So he told her all that was in his heart. He said to her, a razor has never come on my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If I am shaved, then my strength will leave me. I will become weak and be like any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, she sent, called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that's in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up, her and brought the money in their hands she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his hair then she began to afflict him and his strength left him she said the Philistines are upon you Samson he awoke from his sleep and said now watch this I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. What is that? Arrogant assumption. And look at the next phrase, one of the most chilling phrases in the Old Testament. But he did not know that the Lord, that is the anointing of God, had departed from him. I will just, look, I've done this before, been here, done that, I'm just arrogantly assuming that God is going to let me get away with it one more time. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, brought him down to Gaza, bound him with bronze chains. He was a grinder in the prison. He thought, I can be immoral one more time. And God says, your time is up. He crossed the line of sin one too many times. and God's mercy gave way to holy discipline. I'm telling you, when you arrogantly assume that you can sin and live any way you want to and God won't do anything about it, God is going to demand your indictment. You may think God is winking at your sin right now, but he's not. The only, the look, if you're sinning and it's not reaping you death, it's just because God is being gracious to you, giving you time to repent. But I got news for you. Only he knows when he's going to say, that's it. Enough. And Mr. Big Shot, Mrs. Big Shot, God's going to take you down if you don't repent. You know what sin causes? Spiritual death. And sometimes physical death. Genesis two seventeen, But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat from it you shall surely die. Ezekiel 18:4. behold, all souls, God says, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. Read this last part with me off the screen, would you please? The soul who sins will die. What does that sound like? Romans 6, 23, the wages of sin is death. We read earlier in James chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, but each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, he gives birth to sin. When sin is accomplished, it brings forth what? Say it out loud death. Christian, at all costs, no matter what you have to do, avoid arrogant assumption. Don't irreverently test the Lord your God like Samson did. Don't arrogantly assume that the Lord will be merciful and won't indict you and discipline you for your sin. Arrogant assumption demands your indictment. We don't know what the future is is going to hold. We don't know what today is going to hold. I normally know what God wants me to preach by November for the next year. November 2019, I didn't have a clue. Went into December, didn't have a clue. About midway through, just as clear as a bell, one day the Lord laid on my heart and said, preach through Revelation. I had no idea I was going to preach through Revelation and had no idea that in the middle of March we'd have to shut the whole church down because of something called COVID. I didn't even know what COVID was. I couldn't even spell pandemic. I couldn't. I know anything about it. But I know about it now. I've got dear friends who have died from it. My accountant who's been our accountant for over 25 years, her husband, strong, healthy man, died a couple of weeks ago from COVID. One of my best friends in the world right now is sick at home with COVID. Nobody saw this coming. Nobody, Nobody in the government saw it. No Democrat saw it coming. No Republican saw it coming. Nobody saw it coming. It's still killing people. The variant is. Who assumed that restaurants would shut down? Who assumed that churches would shut down? Who assumed that schools would shut down? Who assumed any of that? That's arrogance. To assume arrogantly, it demonstrates our ignorance. It demonstrates my insignificance. It demonstrates, it displays my irreverence for God. I don't say, if the Lord wills, I say, this is what's going to happen. It assumes my assumption, demands my indictment. I've got to be told what I'm doing is sin. I'm going to give you some advice, then we're going to read the Scripture, then we're going to be, we're going to worship God. There's only one thing that any of us can assume. God is in charge, and He loves us. God is in charge, and He loves us. He loves us even when He has to discipline us. He loves us. Let's quit being arrogant. Let's quit being assuming everything's going to be okay no matter how I live. No. You've got to walk with God, and you've got to start living like this. If the Lord lives, I'll do this or that. If the Lord lives, I'll do this or that. Let's read the Scripture. Would you stand with me real quick? We're going to read the Scripture one more time. Read it with me, please, good and strong, out loud. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. I want to ask you if, for some unknown reason, you died sometime this afternoon. Do you know all your sins are forgiven and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? Are you willing to die? like you are right now. You say, that's not going to (laughs) happen. You don't know. I'm not trying to scare you, but I am trying to talk soberly to you. You don't know. One of the healthiest guys in our church in Alabama went to work out every morning, every morning, got on an exercise bicycle, had a heart attack, and died. I did his funeral. If you said, who's going to live and who's going to die, this guy that works out all the time or this guy over here that never works out, eats all he wants to, way overweight, and guess what? They were the same age. The guy that worked out died. And the guy that's overweight, he's still living. What's up with that? We don't know. I'm not trying to scare you, but I am trying to talk some sense into you. You say, I'm only 20 years old, Brother Steve. i got a long way to go. Hey, I had two friends in high school that drowned duck hunting. They fell in, the water got in their waders, and they went straight down out of a boat. One, I was a defensive end. The other was another defensive end right on the end, and he died at 18. Don't tell me you know how long you're going to live. You don't. I've had too many friends die at odd times. You don't know. Do you know the Lord if you don't? Ask him to come into your life and save you. Give your heart to Jesus. Give your heart to Christ. Man, I'm telling you, I don't even even know how people live without the Lord in the day in which we live. It's so crazy out there. If I didn't have the Lord, I'm telling you, I'd go nuts. You say, I don't know how. I'll help you. I help people do their wedding vows right where I'm standing all the time. I lead them in their vows. They get married, okay? I can lead you in a commitment prayer, and you can get saved. If you'll mean what you say, God will save you. Would you just bow with me just for a moment? You say, man, I I want Christ. I want to know the Lord. Man, give your heart to him right now. Say something like, you're talking to him. You're not talking to me. You're not just giving some little religious formula. You're talking to the God of all the universe and his son, Jesus Christ. Just say, Lord Jesus. I want to be saved. I want to know you. I repent of my sin. I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you rose from the dead to give me eternal life. I receive you now. Jesus, come into my life. I call on your name. Save me. Wash me. I give you my whole life, Lord. I surrender everything, my future, my past, my present, everything. I give it to you. Save me, Lord Jesus, in Jesus' name.